I invite the uh, children to children and worship through this uh, door here, those uh, in grades one through three. You know, you've um, heard me say this before, and don't, don't, don't worry as the children go. They're not going to stay in that room in there. They're uh, moving, moving on <coughs> to a bigger space. But you've heard me say this before, in that uh, I believe the church should be offensive. Might be sort of shocking. Well, what do you mean? Well, I mean the church needs to be on the offense. You know, on the move. Doing what God has created us to do. Well, not aggressive jerks. Not bulls in a china shop. That's not the way Jesus would want the church of Jesus Christ. But does want the church to be on the offense and not on the defense. He wants the church to be actively pursuing Him, not just passively being, but actively pursuing Him, moving beyond our comfort zone at a regular rate. Jesus told us, and he didn't talk a lot about the church, but a few things that he did say. One is in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Now, now think about that metaphor for, for a minute with me. You know, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Which is on the defense and which is on the offense? Hell is on the defense. Hell has gates that they close. Hell is the one that lives in a gated community, not the church. The church is the one that doesn't have gates around it. It doesn't have walls, but the church is the one supposed to be busting down the gates of hell. And if it's the church of Jesus Christ, then those gates will not prevail against it. That's an offensive community of the followers of Jesus. Our our prayer covenant that we've been walking through in these last seven weeks, those of you that are just happened in today, welcome, glad you're here. Um, But we've been praying together these last seven weeks and at uh, seven seven weeks, seven days a week at seven o'clock, thereabouts. We're we're graceful people, so uh, uh, it it depends. Uh, People have been using different time zones uh, for that seven o'clock. But our, our closing um, lines of, of our prayer is one about discipleship and authority. The active movement of the church in the name of Jesus Christ. In the authority that He has given to us. Passage um, today that uh, looks at that is in John chapter 14. And we'll we'll speak here about the responsibility that that God has given to us to make disciples, to help and encourage and challenge one another to follow Jesus. That's what discipleship is. We've been praying, use us for your glory and to invite others to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. That's discipleship. That is our purpose. And we do so in the authority of the name of Jesus. 
We're not just given responsibility, but we're given the power and authority to carry that out. I mean, in the last several years as a church, we've been pointedly saying, all right, we, we need to organize ourselves towards this great end of making disciples. It was because of that we said we, we need an hour when we gather together around the scriptures in, in a variety of classes. And so the foundational hour was, was reborn. And we've even orchestrated and restructured the staff over the last several years to say we need to be in alignment with this particular purpose of making disciples. Folks who are fully engaged with our community in the name of Jesus. Who are connecting with one another across every kind of difference. To be a multicultural community of Jesus followers together. And to be filled with the joy of the Lord wherever we go. And whatever we find ourselves in. That is our purpose. To be disciples, followers of Jesus. Now, in our passage, it's the very beginning of the end. Jesus is, is talking, particularly the part we're going to look at, he's talking to Philip, one of the, one of the disciples. And this is uh, John chapter 14, and then 15 and 16, those three verses are sort of the, the they're called the final discourse, the, the last talk, in a sense, that Jesus gives to his uh, disciples. And this is the, the very beginning of that. And we'll, we'll see here the authority, the power, the, the responsibility, the offensive nature of the church that uh, Jesus gives um, to Philip and to us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that fills us so that we are able to, to do it. And we ask now that you would speak to us and that you would fill us. That you would not let us be passive, defensive, but that you would so equip us and so motivate us that we are offensive, doing your will. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. John chapter 14, starting with verse 8. Um, It's found on page 877 in your pew Bible, or you can... Follow along on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. Philip said to him, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you. The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's, let's talk just about the beginning part with Philip talking with, with Jesus. Um, you know, Jesus, if you just show me the Father, then I'm good. You know, I'm all right. Just show me the Father and then, you know, we'll be all right. We'll just be going, able to go back to fishing. 
what, What Philip just wanted was some kind of special experience. You know, show me the secret handshake. You know, give me the the secret recipe. Then I'm content. You know, I'm satisfied. Well, first off, we ought to all know that doesn't work. Right? We ought to all know that that that, uh, real error in judgment there on on Philip. You know, what that we have anything that we say, well, just give us that and then I'm totally satisfied. How's that work for you? You know, just give me a place to live. Oh, and I'm satisfied. Well, give me a place to live in a car. Well, well. I need a place to live in a car and a garage. You know, and then I need a place to live that's bigger. You know, it just never ends. That uh, we get to the next thing and then our, the law of diminishing returns quickly enters in. Uh, so Philip was a little off there. I remember a quote from Ted Turner, who is the uh, founder and the president of uh, CNN, Cable News Network. You know, and he, he, he was asked early in his career, after he made his first million, so now that you've made a million dollars, you know, what's next? My next million. Uh, just never content. You know, it's never going to be some secret thought or idea or secret uh, accomplishment that's going to make him content. Yeah, Philip really wanted at this stage sort of a quick fix. Yeah, he was being passive, being a spectator, being a consumer. Jesus, give me this special experience of seeing God and then I'm there. He was missing the point. Yeah, he, he was making the wrong request at that time. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm moving on. I'm going to the Father. And you've got things then to do. And and Philip says, well, you know, Jesus, just show us the Father and we're good. That's all we want. Philip was making the wrong request. His request of Jesus should have been, okay, well then, what do you want us to do? You know, what what do you got for us? You know, you're leaving. All right, well then, then what's next? What's the evil we need to attack? What's the, the the place you want us to go? What's the message that you want us to take? What's the way that you want us to be so that we can carry on your purposes and your mission? But instead, Philip was like, you know, just take care of us. Give us peace, safety, give us healing, and then I'm okay. You know, sometimes we, we call the church a hospital for sinners. And it is that. But that is an incomplete name. That is an incomplete description. It is that. We are broken people and we're in need of being made whole. But we are also an army of wounded healers who are sent out on a mission to carry out the unending love of God, to share the grace of God, to pursue the justice and righteousness of God wherever we go. Not because we're good enough, not because we're strong enough, not because we've got the answers, but simply because Jesus has brought us to Himself, has equipped us and sent us out on a mission according to His authority, not our own. A church on the offense. As Leighton Ford says, we're beggars telling other beggars where to find bread and working together the best we can to learn how to bake it together. That's the church on the offense. But our human tendency 
is to be passive, to be a spectator, to be a consumer. Give me what I want, and I'm okay. Jesus continues with uh, Philip in verse 9. Jesus said, after Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father and we're, we're satisfied. I've been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. You know me, Jesus says. You know the Father. Look, Philip's looking for some secret kind of handshake. You know, he's looking for some, the secret recipe, the, the secret knowledge of some kind. And what does Jesus give him? Himself. He gives him relationship. He says, you know me. If you know me, you know the Father. This is what I'm about. You encountering me. The world encountering me. That is what the church is supposed to be. A place where discipleship occurs. To be a community that helps one another know God through the love and grace of Jesus Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit. The church is to be a community of Jesus followers controlled by the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's plan and purpose. That's the point of the church. There's a whole lot of other things that that the church is about. But if you remove this one piece from the church, like the wrong block in a Jenga tower, then the whole thing crumbles. If we are not about making followers of one another, of Jesus Christ, and those that don't know Him, then we are not the church of Jesus Christ. Because we're defined by His purpose for us. Uh, You know, I, I do know, by the way, that you're not all here for free pizza. And there's a congregational meeting after um, this particular worship service. And that that is to bring to a conclusion the last year of a discernment process. The purpose of that discernment process that we have made clear, that I've sought to make clear throughout this time, is to align us with the denominational affiliation that best equips us to fulfill God's purpose of growing in Him and sharing His love in word and deed. What best enables you as a congregation to walk with God and invite others to do the same. That is the purpose of this discernment process that has been before us. Some have worried and wondered, is it really all this about sexuality? No. No. That's not the point of this pursuit. Yes, that's an important part of this uh, pursuit, but that is not the point by a long shot. And I want to be sure today, if you think that after the vote today, well, good, we've put that issue to rest and we're not going to have to deal with that again, you're wrongly, or worse mistaken than Philip. 
Because this is a significant issue in our world and in the church. I mean, the last eight weeks, about 60 of us have been gathering in the fellowship hall in a conversation about human sexuality. And it's been clear a couple things from that conversation, at least to me and my participation in that. One, the, the leadership of this church continues to affirm the traditional understanding of human sexuality. That God created us to enjoy sex between a man and a woman in a committed marriage. But that's clear. That it's clear that we as a church in general, just as a church, big C, have not really done a good job of following Jesus in terms of human sexuality. I mean, on the one hand, Jesus was clear. Marriage is to happen once between a man and and a woman. Divorce isn't in Jesus' plan. That's not His design. And yet, the church as a whole in the big C doesn't have much of a different divorce rate than the world outside the church. One of the great byproducts of this discernment process has has been that the the session and the staff and the things that we've done have said, you know, we have to increase our support and our focus on the encouragement of the marriages that God has entrusted to our care. Another thing that was clear from that conversation, another good byproduct, is that Jesus modeled for us how we engage the world without condemnation and without compromise. Oh, what a a gentle righteousness. What What a brilliant way that Jesus engaged the world. And that we as the church, Big C, and we in the church here, we don't do that well either. Man, I continue to come back to that, that one time when Jesus had the angry mob bring him the woman caught in adultery. You know, and the mob was ready to stone her, ready to, to, to kill her right there, and Jesus diffused the mob. Okay. Those who are without sin throw the first rock. And the rocks dropped, the crowd dispersed, and Jesus turned to that woman, said to her, Nobody's here to condemn you, are they? I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. It's a challenge for the church today to follow Jesus closely, to engage the world around us without condemnation and without compromise. Now, I would say, actually, that this discernment process is really a whole lot more about evangelism. How do we best share the love of Jesus Christ with others? And again, for us as a church, if we've really been praying this prayer, you know, that we invite others to follow Jesus Christ as Lord, I look forward to the Lord answering that prayer in our life together. Because we don't do well there either. In the surveys that we've taken of the congregation, we have a very low invitation rate. Less than 20% of us. So about 80% of us don't invite any non-Christian to church events in the course of a year. That's pathetic. In a denial of our very purpose. We need help. 
In this, that same survey that, that we took, less than 20% of us in the course of a year had one spiritual conversation with a non-believer. Somebody outside the church. Now, we're, we need help there. And, and that is an express purpose of the church. Now, this discernment process is a whole lot more about us seeking the help, the guidance, the direction that we need to fulfill the purpose that God has called us and given us the authority to carry out. To be on the offense in grace and righteousness in goodness and love. That just doesn't happen. It takes energy, discipline, and focus. Now, the great news here. I mean, this is a high calling. A high calling that we all say, yeah, yeah, I don't... Maybe I'm a passive Christian. Maybe I'm more on the defense than the offense. The the, the great news here is is Jesus is is telling this to to Philip. The, The key point, I think, of the passage is then found in verse 12. That not only does he give us the responsibility, but he gives us the authority as well. With a tremendous promise. Verse 12, very truly, I tell you. Whenever he starts one of those sentences, very truly, I tell you, or or, truly, truly, or verily, verily, or amen, amen, I tell you this. It's his way of saying, sort of putting it in bold, highlighting it for us. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The one who believes in me will do the works that I do and even greater. And then he gives that that prayer statement. Whatever you ask in my name for, for the glory of the Father, I will do it. It must be a real important statement because he makes that statement seven times in this farewell discourse. In chapter 14, 15, and 16, seven different times he talks about the power of prayer in the work of the church. Now, note this. This is not a blank check. You know, ask, ask me in my name. Now, that's not just a magic word. That means ask me according to my character, according to, the, to his perfect nature and to whatever glorifies the Father. You ask me for that and I will do it in your midst. Now I promise, it has not been a trick over the last seven weeks to be praying. But if we've been praying these words that are in alignment with God's purposes and plan, then He promises to answer them in our midst. Indeed, to make us people of compassion, to love others like He loves us. He promises then to forgive us of our sins, to fill us with His Holy Spirit. He promises to make us instruments of His righteousness, His grace, His truth, His forgiveness, and His justice. And as we have been praying that, as we're praying our prayer for this this week, use me for your glory today and to invite others to follow Jesus as Lord. Then He says He will answer and affirm that prayer. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? I mean, to consider that we as the church are given that kind of authority, that we're given that kind of responsibility to do the very works that Jesus did. 
Oh man, how I must confess to you, I shortchanged the work of the church. I shortchanged the work of Jesus in me. Being passive, being just okay, instead of on the offense for the work of the good news. One of my favorite basketball coaches, you might be able to guess, is Coach Krzyzewski, who's the head coach, at uh, the basketball coach at Duke, um, just the winningest basketball coach in the history of college basketball. <laughs> Minor facts, though. But reading some of his stuff, some of the stuff he says to his team and that he shares with others as he shares in larger settings, he, he asks his team, are you a great team just playing sort of good? Are you a, a great team satisfied with being really good? And when he asks businesses that, he says, are, are you a million-dollar business acting like a half-million-dollar business? Are you a million-dollar business pursuing two-million-dollar business? Not, not a great, not a perfect correlation to the church, but I think if he were speaking to the church, he'd ask us, are you passively serving a good God? Or are we actively, offensively pursuing a great God who gives sight to the blind, good news to the poor, who raises the dead to life, who releases people from addiction, who saves marriages, who tur- turns the greedy into generous, who turns the hateful into loving, the selfish into a servant, who turns mourning into dancing and healing the ill and brings life out of death. Are we satisfied with being okay? With being a nice church? Isn't that damning with faint praise? Are we satisfied with being a, a welcoming church? Or do we serve an okay God who is nice? Who's welcoming? Or do we serve the God of creation? The God of power and might? The God of a ferocious love, of a dangerous hope, and an endless joy in a world-changing faith? That's our charge. Our charge is to serve that God. To serve a God of a ferocious love, even in the midst of a world of selfish pursuits. To serve a God of a dangerous hope in an age of cynicism. To serve a God with an endless joy in an age of fading happiness. And to serve a world-changing God, a world-changing faith in an age of fear. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we serve the God of the resurrection from the dead. The one who from his very word created everything that is out of nothing. Not just a nice God. Not just an okay God. Regardless where God leads us through this discernment process. Regardless what the decision is that God leads to you as a congregation. We must, we must not count this as the end of anything, but the very beginning of our next step of being an offensive, act, uh, offensive church, actively pursuing a God 
who has bestowed upon us a responsibility and authority of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Anything less will be failure. Amen.